0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: Today's reading is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, which can be found on page 1235 of the Church Bibles, and it begins at verse 7. Revelation, chapter 3. Verse 7. To the church in Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those that are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet, This is the Word of the Lord.
0: Thank you, Janet, for reading. Do keep your Bibles open there? Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you this morning. My name is Justin, if we haven't met, and as Rob mentioned. And in our morning services, we've been traveling through the book of Revelation together. These words here in chapter 3 are Jesus' words and the Spirit's words that he is speaking to us today. And these words come to us, as it says in chapter 1, verse 4, with grace and peace from him who is and was and is to come. These words are for our good. They are his good gift to us. Let's turn to our God now in prayer and ask him to enable us to hear these words and listen to him. Jesus says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Our God and Father, thank you that your word to us in your Son is one of grace. Please will you help us to know your son's presence with us this morning. Please will you help us to hear his voice, to see his glory and grace, and to hold fast to him in faith. Please will you do this by your spirit's work in us and among us. And in Christ's name we ask, and for his glory, amen. Amen. Well, I have here a set, I think I have a set, of keys. Um, They were given to me when I started here back in January, and when they were handed to me, I thought, this is probably not a good idea, because I'm going to lose them at some point. They're the keys for this building. Keys represent a few things. They represent authority and responsibility. They represent security and safety. And they represent belonging. One time, our family was on holiday in South Africa, and we were traveling back from my hometown to Cape Town, where we were living at the time. Um, It's a beautiful drive, if you haven't done it, but it's about an 8- to 12-hour drive. And we had two small children in the car with us, so it was more on the 12-hour side, um, and it was a long day. We were two hours outside of Cape Town, and I realized something. And I said, I have something to tell you. And Carmen's dad was in the car, so this made it worse. Please don't be angry, which is never a good thing to say. (laughs) I forgot the keys to our flat in Port Elizabeth. Ten hours in the other direction. See, that key was quite important. But thankfully, there was someone in Cape Town who had a master key. They were the one person who could let us back into our flat. They were the hero that day, because, you see, we could go into the home that we belonged in. We were safe and secure and not stranded on the streets of Cape Town that night. Well, in this passage, Jesus holds a key. There's only one of these keys, and he is the only one who has it. And the key is not to a religious building or a small flat. It opens the door to God's heavenly throne room where he is seated in glory and where he lives in unapproachable light, where no one has seen or can see him, but whom Christians will see face to face. And we're to see this morning that Jesus loves powerless Christians who keep holding on to his word. And he will make sure that he will keep that door open in heaven and not be closed to them. We're going to look at this passage under two points this morning. And they should be up on the board for us. So, there first, you see that Jesus keeps the door to his kingdom open for powerless Christians who hold to his word or keep his word. Jesus has authority to ensure that his people will enter his heavenly, eternal kingdom. You see, he is the one who decides who can come in and who will stay out. And he will make sure that they will enter. In verse 7 and 8, Jesus says to this church in Philadelphia that he holds the key of David. And what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Well, this door is what is mentioned to us in chapter 4, verse 1. It's a door standing open in heaven. It leads to the throne room of God, where the Lord God Almighty Himself is seated on the throne and worshipped for all time and eternity. And Jesus is the only one who can open this door because He holds, as He says, this key, this key of David, The key of David is referred to in an Old Testament book, Isaiah, chapter 22, verse 22. And there, God gave the same key to Eliakim. Eliakim was a faithful official in the king's palace at the time. And this key was a symbol that Eliakim had authority in the kingdom of Israel. He had authority to decide who could enter the king's palace. He was the one who could decide who could come in and go out. And he was given this authority to protect and care for Israel. Jesus is the one who has ultimate authority over God's kingdom. And Jesus wanted these Christians to see that he would make sure that nothing will keep them out of his kingdom. You see, he is heaven's gatekeeper. Imagine you went to Buckingham Palace and you arrived unannounced, and you tried to get yourself in. I wonder what would happen. If you were persistent, eventually, you might have a bayonet pointed to you and asked to leave. I did check this up, so I don't think I'm making it up, that that would happen. <laughs> there needs to be consequences, right? In the very least, you'll just be refused, or you'll be stonewalled, and you know, they'll ignore you. But I know that some of you, you have been to Buckingham Palace and the gates were wide open for you when you arrived because you were there for the Duke of Edinburgh, the, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh award. And on that day, you came driving down towards the, back, the palace and the gates were open because they were expecting you. They knew you were coming and they wanted to make sure that you got in. Well, Jesus holds open heaven's door for his people Well, perhaps you're not a Christian here this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. And I want you to know that the doors to this building will not be closed to you. You're always welcome. But if I can just ask you, what do you make of Jesus? Is he a carpenter? A wise man, a great philosopher? A fib? You see, Jesus tells us that there is an eternal kingdom. There is life after death. And he is best placed to tell us these things because he is the one who died and rose again. He is the living one. But we need to see, and you need to see, that there isn't a panel in heaven where Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha are sat around a table and they're going to talk it out as to who gets into heaven and who gets into this kingdom. You see, everyone one day will be face to face with Jesus, and either he will let you in or not. Christians don't think that there are many paths to God, and even if there were, there is one door where the paths lead to, if that was true. But there is still one door, and only Jesus has the key. And the reason Jesus was keeping this door open in heaven for them was because in verse 8 we're told that they had kept his word and not denied his name, which in verse 10 is that they have kept his command, this word to endure patiently. Revelation chapter 14 verse 12 helps us to see what Jesus meant here, what it means to keep his word, to endure patiently. It says, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Or more literally, who keep the faith of Jesus or the faith about Jesus. You see, these Christians, they kept God's word. They continued to believe that Jesus is the Lord God of Israel. And they worshipped him. They did not deny his name, but they believed of what he says of himself in verse 7, that he is the one who is holy and true. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 9, the Lord God says to his people, I am God and not a man, the holy one among you. And these Christians came to see that Jesus is the Lord God of Israel. He is the Alpha and Omega in chapter 1, verse 8, which means the first and the last. And he had become a man, Jesus. And so Jesus calls himself in chapter 1, verse 17, the first and the last. And so these Christians who held on to these words, who held on to God's words, while they would say what God's people say in chapter 6, verse 10, that Jesus is the sovereign Lord, holy and true who will judge all people. Is this what you believe about Jesus? Is this who he is in your eyes? See, Christians don't think that they will be in God's kingdom because they've earned their way in, or that they deserve to be there because they've lived a good life. Jesus will only allow those into his kingdom who have believed who he claims he is that he is God, that he is our creator, that he is our judge, and it's to him that we're accountable. In fact, if we believe this about Jesus, it means that we will see that he is holy and we are not. And Therefore, there is nothing that we can do that would make God give us our own key to get into his kingdom. Nor is there a back door that we can just slip in through that a mate tells us about. You see, we can't measure up to Jesus' greatness and his glory. We don't meet his standards of holiness. And we know that we don't deserve to be in his kingdom. But what we do also know is that he has loved us. Do you see what he says? That these people that are giving them difficulty, this church that they will know that I have loved you. And these Christians knew that too. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, Jesus says that He loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve His God and Father. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. We can only enter His kingdom because He has freed us from our sins by His blood. And that is how he has loved us. And this church, they needed to hear these words, and they needed to hear that Jesus would save them because they kept believing that he is their Lord and God who died on the cross to save them and so that they would belong to him. They needed to hear this because it's for believing this very thing about Jesus that they were shut out of the Jewish synagogue. It's likely that some of the Christians in this church were Jewish, and others might have been Gentiles who worshipped the God of Israel—that is, Jewish proselytes. And in verse nine, uh, verse nine, sorry, Jesus acknowledges that these Christians were being opposed by Jewish people. <clears throat> he says there, their opponents are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. Those are strong words from Jesus. And they don't mean that um, these Jewish people were pretending to, or these people were pretending to be Jews. Rather, he means that because they opposed these Christians, they showed that they are not God's people. The Christians were powerless in the face of this opposition. And there was nothing that they could do to stop it. And the accusation that was leveled against these Christians from these Jewish people was that God did not love them. Because you see. He loved the Jewish people. He chose Abraham as their ancestor to make a great nation. And to be loved by God in the Old Testament was to be chosen by him in his grace, to be one of his people. You see, these Christians, these Jewish Christians, we were being told by their fellow Jewish people that they no longer belonged to God. He did not love them. And it was proven by the fact that they were powerless to do anything about it. At least it seemed to be proven that way. And that is why part of the vindication that Jesus says he'll bring is that they will acknowledge that I have loved you. There would have been serious implications for these Christians if they were disowned by this Jewish community. People that they grew up with, that they knew and loved. They spent time in their homes together. You see, to be shut out of the synagogue would have meant that they did not belong to part of what they grew up thinking was God's community, the community of people they knew and loved. They were shut out because they saw that Jesus was their God and King. He is the one who led them through the Red Sea. He is the one who fed them in the desert and in the wilderness. He is the one who led them to the promised land, who gave them their kings and their prophets and and his word. And now those those who stood up against them and kicked them out were saying that it was no longer true of them. That they did not know their God. And Jesus did not stop it. They would have found that trusting Jesus as their God and their Saviour and their King meant that their family and friends would also have shut them out of their houses. They might have lost their own home. They would have found it hard to go and get things at the market whereas the community ostracized them and shunned them or that it was difficult in business or maybe they lost business opportunities. Where did they belong? See, life would have been unstable and insecure and Jesus didn't stop it. Did he love them? They held on to this truth that he did But it didn't seem like it. But you see, they, rem- they, they kept on holding on, because they knew that He showed His love for them, not in giving them an easy and a stable and secure life now, but in dying on the cross for them so they could belong to Him for it, forever. I wonder if you notice that this is the only church And as we'll see next week, this is the only church so far that is commended by Jesus. There is no rebuke here from him. He sees and he knows that they are weak and they are powerless and they are burnt out and they are anxious. They're scared about where they will live, about what they'll do for food. And he commands them and encourages them and he is gentle with them because they have kept trusting in Him as their Lord and Savior, and they did not deny His name. So we all have moments of weakness as Christians, don't we? I know I do. <coughs> we all have those moments <coughs> when we're with friends or with family and, or colleagues, and we downplay. We downplay the fact that we're Christians. Or we don't take as seriously the Bible as maybe um, we actually do. Or maybe we downplay that we're a Christian or that Jesus is Lord because we want to secure a job opportunity or a promotion or a boyfriend. Those are things that we need to go to Jesus with and say sorry for and maybe give up and ask him to help us in being more courageous and he will forgive us, and he will help us. But I think that denying Jesus' name here is not quite the same as that. There is a difference between a moment of weakness and turning away from Jesus completely. You see, this church was facing such opposition and discouragement that it would have brought them to the point of deciding whether they would not believe in Jesus anymore as their sovereign Lord and King and Saviour. And this opposition is from people who assume and claim to be God's people. And that might come from those who claim to be God's people as Christians, or religious people of any other religion. People who harm and threaten and use their power to walk over weak Christians, causing their lives to be destabilized and insecure and their trust in Christ to be so squashed that they are ready to walk away from Him altogether. That is the seriousness of the situation that they were in. As I said, this, this can happen even from people who are Christians. Maybe you're here and you've been hurt by someone who said they are a Christian and you're struggling to hold on to the gospel because of it. You've not voiced it to anyone because you feel scared. Maybe you'll be told just to deal with it, to forgive them, to move on, or to sort it out. Or maybe you'll feel judged. And maybe you're wondering, is it worth holding on to Jesus? Because he doesn't seem to be with you Or love you if this kind of thing can happen to you. Let me say, I know what it's like to be opposed by people who say they are Christians and they use their power to threaten and harm. And it brings you to the edge of your faith. and you feel like you're hanging on by your fingernails over what is a dark precipice. What I can say is that the Lord knows. He knows where you're at, and He loves you. He died on the cross for you so that you will belong to Him. And let me also say, speak to someone, if you're in that place. You might feel like you can't hang on much more. Don't let go. Don't let go. He's holding the door of heaven open for you. Or maybe you know someone who's on the edge of their faith. It might be a friend, or a a child, or a spouse or a parent. Jesus knows. He knows where they are. Try and speak to them. But see how gentle Jesus is with those who are in this place. You see, they might be struggling to see his love and his goodness in that moment. Gently point them to his cross. Because they haven't denied him yet. Yet even if they are struggling to hold on. Or maybe you are someone who has walked away. Let me remind you what I said at the start, and Jesus' words at the start, these are his words of grace to us. And the very fact that you are sitting here, hearing this word today, is an indication that you can come to him, and come back to him. He will be gracious to you, put your trust in him again. He loved you and he died for you. To those who are thinking about letting go from trusting in Jesus, he encourages them to keep holding on. This is my second point and I know because of time uh, we are a bit short and I will try and get us through this as best as I can keep holding on to his word. So Jesus will save them, not just because they've believed in him, but if they continue to. He says in verse 11, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. This is the person who will be victorious in verse 12. And the crown here was a wreath. It was like a gold medal that you would win if you got to the end of a race. The Christian life is like a hard marathon. As Pete was saying, it's full of ups and downs. And it was certainly hard for these Christians. And Jesus gives little assurance that the difficulty is going to end soon. In long-distance sports, the way that you carry on is by carrying on. There comes a point where you just want to give up. I know this from coaches, but I also know this from Google. Um, And their top tip for carrying on in a race is just to keep going. Don't slow down. Don't change pace. Don't stop. How will you cross the victory line of heaven's archway? Keep believing in Jesus just as you began. You might feel like you don't have much faith. You have some faith. You have faith. Keep believing that He is your Lord and God who made you for Himself. You see, it is those who continue in faith in Christ who can be sure that they will be saved on the last day. Especially when they are opposed and on the edge of giving up. When it seems like everything else is out to stop you. The other way to keep going is to keep your eyes on the goal to keep your eyes on the prize, as they say. But Jesus tells us if we keep going, we will have a crown. It's the crown of life mentioned in chapter 2, verse 10, that was promised to Smyrna. And this is actually Google's other tip for keep going, if you're in a long-distance race. Don't stop. Fix your eyes on the end. And in verse 12 to 13, Jesus promises... He gives promises to those who will keep trusting in him. And they help us see what this life with him will be like. He promises that they would belong to him and that they will belong to him and they will be safe and secure in his kingdom. Verse 12 I will make, a pi- I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will you leave it. You see, they had been shut out of the synagogue in Philadelphia. But they will be forever in God's heavenly temple. And the temple in the Old Testament was the place where God dwelled. It's where He revealed His glory and where people worshipped Him. It's a picture of being in intimate relationship with Him, knowing Him, seeing who He is. And it is safe. And they will be there because they will never be told to leave but they will also be important in His kingdom. You see, a pillar is quite important for the structural integrity of a building. The question we need to ask ourselves as we think ahead is, does it matter more to us that we belong there, that our security is with Him, that we are safe, will be safe in His kingdom, or is it in this world that we're looking to belong, to find safety and security? The second promise that Jesus makes is that I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, and the new Jerusalem which comes down from heaven, sorry, from God out of heaven, in my own new name. See, Jesus puts a label on us, a name label. He, he says that we belong to him. And it has our address and, contact and his contact details, or his address and contact details, See, they have a permanent address. Not in Philadelphia, but in the new Jerusalem. They belong to God the Father. And they'll be with Him forever. They have a new permanent home. And they will have His new name, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. They will serve Him there and be with Him. And rule with Him in His kingdom. They will be part of this new life and this new community that will be secure. Why would you want to give these up? Why would you want to give these up? So even if you could gain some security for yourself in this life, even if you could find a place of belonging of the people of this world, how long is that going to last? Not very long, probably. Or why would you want to achieve that with people who can turn on you so quickly? Jesus will never turn on you. He promises that you will be with him forever. Christian, don't look to belong here. We're to keep going. We're to encourage one another. We're to look to see that he hasn't left us. But we're also to see that He's coming soon. You see, Jesus doesn't just stand at the door, checking His watch, what time are you going to get there? He comes to get us. And whether that is when He returns or in death, He will come and bring us into His home. And when we get back and we're standing at the door, Jesus wouldn't have left it behind like I did. Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you that you are a good King, that you are God and Savior. And we pray that you would help us to see your glory and to hold to your word because you hold us. Please strengthen us in faith today and this week to keep trusting in you because of your great love for us. And we ask this in your name, amen.